And let's open him to the book of First Corinthians chapter 15. And as we continue our series, uh, really our summer prophecy series, this morning we want to talk about the rapture. It's not something that uh, we talk about a whole lot or is talked about a whole lot. We kind of leave it as it is in the prophecy category. And yet in Christendom, it's the next great event that God is going to bring upon us. And we would do well uh, to look at Scripture and realize uh, all that we can, not just about it, but uh, what it would drive us to do. And, and uh, the letter that we'll read today is written by inspiration of God, of course, through the Apostle Paul as he writes it to the church at Corinth. And uh, to me, it's very interesting. The church at Corinth is an interesting study because the people of Corinth were uh, not very spiritual. In fact, uh, they were babes in Christ. Does anybody need an outline? Raise your hand real quick. If you didn't get an outline on the way in, uh, right up here, uh, uh, Braden. There's, there's a few right here. Just keep your hands up. And uh, you remember that the church at Corinth had some issues, like every church. There's no such thing as a perfect church. The church at Corinth was certainly not a model church. Um, and he writes to them at the very beginning, and we've studied it uh, the last couple of Wednesday nights. We even looked at it briefly this morning in our Sunday school hour as to the characteristics of a spiritual infant, the, uh, the way that someone who is saved, uh, but the way that they live their life, the things that they do, the things that they say, uh, indicates their spiritual infancy. It's to that church that Paul, as he writes and as he rebukes, he reproves and he exhorts with all suffering, that he writes these words that we'll, that we'll read today. And, uh, and it, 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 to me, it just, it, it's amazing. To me, it's amazing the grace of God. Uh, it's amazing that God would see these people as salvageable, that God would see this church as still a church he wants to use. And he uses the very end of this letter, he he takes all that he said and he puts these words in front of them as a motivation, as do I want to set before them uh, uh, before us today. And so First Corinthians chapter 15, I want you to follow along with me, if you will, in verse 51. Behold, I show you a what? Mystery. Everybody loves a good mystery. And Paul says, I'm going to show you something that you may not understand. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Bible is the book of all books because it is the word of the living God. When God moved on holy men of God, they wrote the words of God, and some of what was written, we would say, would be very plainly understood. For instance, when you read about sin in the Bible, it's very plainly understood. When you read about God's holiness in the Bible, it is very plainly understood. When you read about God's hatred for sin, it is very plainly understood. When you read about the need for salvation for all men, when you read of Jesus' substitutionary death for mankind... And that that salvation is offered not only freely, but it is only by grace through faith alone. It is extremely clear. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I don't know about you, but that is very clear to me. It is extremely clear how God feels about sin, how God feels about mankind, and his love for them so that they could be saved and the means of that salvation. But some things in the Bible are not as clear. In fact, Jesus mentioned some mysteries that he was 
that he had uh, that he had come to make plain. The Bible says in Matthew chapter thirteen and verse eleven, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know, listen, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. God says, look, I'm I'm coming to you and I want to reveal to you what the kingdom of God is and what it is not. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9, there's another mystery. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32, as he speaks about marriage and the love of marriage and the importance of it and, and how it works. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the mystery that today we're going to look at, according to the scripture, is the rapture of the people of God. Now, this event will usher in what we know as the tribulation, which will lead to the end of all things as we know it. By the way, you can believe God's word concerning the end, and it is very clear. First Peter chapter four and verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Second Peter chapter three and verse 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Revelation 21, five. And he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, right for those, for these words are true and faithful. There are some things in the Bible that are absolutely clear as crystal and other things God says are a mystery and yet I'm going to reveal them to you. I want you to know about them. Now, the mystery of the tribulation revolves around when it's going to happen, not if it's going to happen. The mystery of the rapture is the same. It's not about whether or not God's people are going to be caught up together with him in the air. The, the mystery is, when is that going to happen? And we looked last week at the fact that God says, look, I'm coming back. Remember the disciples? When is the kingdom going to be restored? When is all this going to go away? Jesus said, look, it's not for you to know those things right now. What you need to know is that those times are in the hands of the Father. And what you need to know is what I want you to do in light of that coming. The same thing is true here. And so the hourglass of God's judgment will begin at the next great event for the Christian. And the next great event in God's timetable is the rapture of the church. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns in the sky, according to scripture, and he catches away his bride. Now, this is the mystery that Paul tells us about in our text. And I want us to notice this morning in your in your notes, three clear details about the rapture as they're given out right here. Now, again, I'm not here to say, hey, there's 22 reasons why Jesus is coming in 2022. I'm not going to prognosticate and say, hey, look, here's all the, here's, here's all the facts. The facts is, here's what we need to know. Jesus is coming again. Amen. He's coming again, and it could be today. The question is, are we ready for him to come today? Do I know for sure that if Jesus parts those clouds on the eastern sky, that I've, or if I died today, that I would be with him in this party that Jesus says is going to happen. Because the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the air. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. Now, in light of that, Paul writes to this dysfunctional church at best in their spiritual infancy. And he says, listen. I want you to know some things about this mystery. I'm going to reveal them to you. God's given me liberty. And what you need to know about the rapture, I'm now going to tell you. First of all, he discloses, number one, not all Christians are going to die. Not all Christians are going to die. Now, certainly, probably everyone in this room has tasted the shadow of death because someone in our family or our friendship circle has actually tasted of death and they're gone. But those, the Bible says there are going to be people who are alive during the time of the rapture. The Bible says in verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery. Here it is. We shall not all sleep. Now that word sleep there refers to death. You remember when, G, when uh, Paul's writing to the same church in the same letter about the Lord's table. And he says, look, the reason that there are some people who sleep among you is because they've taken the cup of the Lord unworthily. What's he talking about? He's talking about sleeping in church? No, he's talking about sleeping eternally. He's talking about death. What's he talking about here? He's talking about death. It refers to death. First Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. 
that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So clearly in Scripture, when the Bible here is speaking in this context of sleep, he's talking of death. By the way, death is a serious matter for everyone. It's very serious. In fact, letter A, it's a burden. There is such thing as a burden of death. What's part of the burden? Well, it revolves around the time when we say we don't know when that time is. I don't know when my time is to die. You don't know when your time is to die either. The Bible says, however, that there is an appointment with death. Hebrews 9, 27 in your notes. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, there is a time to die. Solomon tells us that there is a time to be born and there's the time to die. In fact, the Bible goes on to say the soul that sinneth it shall die. And we know that death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So there is a great burden in knowing that we as human beings are going to die. Secondly, that, that's why we know that there's a great battle against it. There's a huge battle against death. Psalm 90 and verse 10 declares that we could live as long as 70 to 80 years on average and the reason of the uh, or by reason of uh, of length maybe a little longer but the fact of the matter is for it is soon cut off and we fly away. God says, though I may give you some fruitful years and you may live to this envelope of years on average, I want you to know eventually that time is going to be cut off. All right? Now, though there have been advances in modern medicine, and billions spent on research, the death rate remains one death for one birth. It's a fact. We fight it. We exercise. We try to eat right. We, it, some people take pills. There's all kinds of people. What are they doing? They're battling death. They know that aging is a part of the process. Really, it's not aging. It's dying. From the day we were born until the day we die, we are in the dying process. And that battle is real. Why? Because the burden is real. Look, the fact of the matter is, if you surveyed a, a million people in this country today and said, would you like to die today? I'm pretty sure you'd get about a million responses that all say, uh, no. If I had anything to do with it, if I had my way, I would rather choose life. The burden of death is real. That's why there's a great battle. But did you know, it's interesting, not only in this passage, but really throughout the Bible, there's a crimson red cord that runs through it that gives us, letter C, the blessing of salvation. The blessing of salvation. Not only does he talk about the victory in this passage, but there's a huge blessing that we read of as we take the verses and say, okay, Lord, obviously the Bible is a book of death. It is a book of death. Read Genesis chapter 5 after you see the creation of man and then the fall of man. The next thing you know is you see the death of man is promised. And they died. And they died. And he died. And he died. A whole book that ends every verse with and he died. How depressing is that? The Bible is a book of death. But I will tell you, it is also, and it really is, a book of life. The Bible says the blessing of salvation the blessing of knowing that your sins are forgiven the blessing of knowing that you don't live with the condemnation of god as part of that burden ever again and you are on your way to heaven romans 8 and verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in christ jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit think about that there is no condemnation now that word God inspired way back in John chapter 3 when Jesus was communicating back and forth with Nicodemus. And he said, I want you to know, Nicodemus, that Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The next verse says, and this is the condemnation to them which believe not. The fact of the matter is, every single day that man lives without Christ in this life, he senses and believes in his heart that there is a condemnation. Whether he chooses to act on it or not is irrelevant. That's what the Bible says he lives with. The wrath of God abideth on him. But to those that are in Christ, there is therefore now, present tense, perfect always, no condemnation to them which are in Christ. What a blessing. The idea of salvation that I could live uncondemned. Second Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. What an amazing blessing to think that if I died today, that my heart stopped as the pump that it is, and I cease to exist on this earth, I am going to live forever in eternity with Jesus. Why? Because I have the blessing of Jesus Christ in my life. 
Amazing. Well, Paul speaks about another blessing here. And that is if you happen to be alive at the return of Jesus Christ, you are not ever going to taste death. What? You're never going to taste physical death. Hallelujah for that. If I'm alive when Jesus comes, I'm not going to die. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Who? Those are the dead in Christ that have risen first with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, the word caught up there is where we get our word rapture. The word rapture is actually not in the Bible. That's a Latin word that we get rapture called repturo. That, that phrase, caught up, means to be physically removed with violence. It means to be reclaimed permanently. That's what Jesus is going to do with his bride. Christians who are alive at the rapture are going to be caught up, but not, not after, not until the dead in Christ rise first. So those people that you and I know, my beloved mother, who is in the grave, her body is in the grave, she is going to be resurrected and will be waiting for me as then I am caught away by the Lord Jesus in there. What a blessing. That's the blessing of salvation. So here's part of the mystery. I want you to understand that this is how it works. Not everybody's going to die. Now, if you were in the first century Christian and you were in the church at Corinth and Paul said to you, hey, I just want you to know the rapture's coming. And I want you to know that if you're alive when Jesus comes, you're not going to die. I would be like, I want that ticket. I would be looking around going, that is really cool. Because if there was anybody that knew about death, it was the first century Christian. It was the first century Christian who lived under Roman rule. They knew all about death. And escaping that burden meant that it was a huge blessing. So he says, listen, I just want you to know, some of you are going to have to die. And some of you may not have to die. Now, that's the truth for us. Not all Christians are going to have to die. That's a mystery. Secondly, all Christians will be changed. We will be different. We shall be changed. Look at verse 51 again. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we, that is who are alive, shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when, not if, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The Bible tells us that we will be changed for this wonderful trip, both the dead and dead in Christ and those living in Christ will be changed. We're going to have to change. Now, I can remember coming home after a long day of playing with my friends when I was growing up. And then my mom uh, would say on Wednesday night, okay, it's time to go get ready for church. So I would go in and I would wash my hands and I perhaps would comb my hair. And then I'd come out and sit down. My mom would come to me and say, you're not ready for church. You're not going looking like that. She would say, you're not wearing that to church. She would say, go change. And then I would be like, why do I have to change? And she'd say, because we're going to church and we don't go to church looking like you do. Now, most of the time I'd have stuff all over me and I'd be filthy and she would want me to wear something presentable out. Now, um, let me explain a little different. Have you ever done this? Have you ever bought new clothes before you left for vacation? To vacation in a place where nobody knew you anyway? You ever done that? So we're going to take a vacation. You have plenty of clothes in the closet. In fact, I, got hang- I have more clothes than I have hangers. And we're going to go, and we've got to go buy new clothes to go on vacation. To sit with people who don't even know what our old clothes look like. Does that make sense? So you understand this. It, it, it's kind of interesting how our society has changed a bit in this realm. It used to be when you traveled... Um, when you went out to dinner, when you went to movies, when you went to Broadway, that you dressed up. You dressed for the occasion. You watch any old movie, especially if it's black and white, you see people getting on an airplane and they're suited out. They got their hats, they're taken off. Everybody is dressed like they're going to see the president of the United States. I mean, isn't it kind of strange 
over the last 60, 70 years, how that's declined. Now you have people who barely dress. You know, they get thrown off uh, if they're not dressed right. They, they, the fact is, people have gone away from this, hey, I need to dress for the place, or I need to, I, I, I need to at least look presentable. Now, that's, an, that's a great example of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, I get it. Everybody wants to go to heaven. The first thing is, you can't go to heaven unless you, listen, put on Christ. He is our salvation garment. The second thing is, there is no possible way that this that we look at can go to heaven. Why? Because the Bible clearly says in verse 54 that this is corruptible. Look up that word sometime in the Greek to find out what it means. It's vile. It's refuse. Why? Why is this corruptible? Because of sin. And where God is, there is no sin. Yes, I'm accepted in the beloved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But, and I put on Christ so that God sees me now just as if I never sinned. I am justified in the eyes of God, according to, uh, to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. However, when I get to, uh, to the point where I have to make the trip, and I'm going to be there at the resurrection of the dead and the rising of the church, this body has to change because I have to have a physical body. Now, why do I have to have a physical body in order to ever be with the Lord? If I, so let me ask you this. Let me just, just open up the little can of worms here. If someone died in 200, like today's 1900 or 2022, in the year 200, and they've been in heaven, have they really been in heaven? The answer is yes. Yes, they've been in heaven. Good answer. But did they have a mortal body? No. Well, did they go to heaven or not? Yes. What went to heaven? Them. Who's them? The real them. Because this isn't the real me. The real me lives inside of me, my eternal being, my soul. Remember back in Genesis when God breathed into man and he became a, not a human being, a living soul? That's the eternality of God being transferred to man. Man is going to live forever. But when that body died, God left the garden. And God says, now, when I redeem that, I have to redeem that body. And to prove it, I'm going to raise my son Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. Why does my physical body have to be changed at the resurrection of the dead? Because Jesus Christ's body was changed at his resurrection. He no longer had the physical body that he lived in. He had the glorified body, which is going to become our body. That's what we have to be changed in. Notice letter A, the purpose in being changed. And I want you to see that we have to be changed. Verse 53, we must put on immortality. We've been told over and over in the Bible that as believers, we are to put on Christ every day. Galatians chapter 3, for as many of you uh, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's talking about being saved. Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision of the flesh. That's talking about living like Christ and putting him forth in your, in your life and making that the preeminence. Those are all voluntary choices. I have to choose Christ in order to be saved. I have to choose to put on Jesus as I put off the old man in order to walk like Jesus. Those are all voluntary choices. Those are all actions that we make on our journey voluntarily. But at the end of our journey, we will have no choice in the matter. God does it. God is the one that takes this physical body to those that are alive and the bodies of those who are dead in Christ, and he changes them to be glorified. In other words, no longer corruptible, but incorruptible and, and cannot be corrupted forever. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who shall change our, here's the word, vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So God says, look, I'm going to redeem you and I have to redeem you my way. I'm going to glorify your body. I'm going to take that which is corruptible and I'm going to change it. How? Because I'm God. The Bible says, at the end of that, who has, uh, whereby, I'm sorry, 
It says, according to the working whereby he is able. Did you know that only God can do that? And he will do that. Our body has to, must put off everything sinful, everything vile, everything abominable and degrading because we can't make the trip without being changed. God says, I want you to see this. We, we learn letter A, the purpose in being changed. Secondly, we learn the power to be changed. Verse 53 and 54, the Bible tells us that death is swallowed up in victory. We will be changed by the power of the resurrection of Christ. That's the reason. That's the power. His body went into the grave, mutilated by sin, and came out glorified by the power of God. Now listen, Romans 8 and verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you... He that raised up Christ from the dead, watch this, shall also quicken, what? Your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He has to make my mortal body alive and incorruptible. Romans 6 and verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So we understand firmly that this body is not going to make it to heaven the way that it is. It has to be changed first corinthians look at first corinthians 15 look at back up in verse 21 verse 21 for since by man came death by man came also the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die even so in christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order christ the what first fruits afterward they that are christ's when at his coming so the bible is clear not only that we must change, but the power of that change came because of the resurrection of Christ. Let us see. We also see the picture of being changed. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear. Now again, all these verses have to do with his coming. When he, that is Jesus, shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. At that moment, at the twinkling of an eye, when's it all going to happen? Well, we don't know when it's going to happen, but we know how it's going to happen, and we know how long it's going to take. It's going to happen in an instant. It's not going to be like, okay, well, you know, all right, Chris, we're going to have to take you into surgery. We've got to change all your body, and, you know, we've got to suck out all the sin and put out all the holiness of God, and you're going to be glorified. Okay, good luck. You know, it's not, we're not waiting. It's going to happen. That quick, and it's going to happen all together, all at once for everybody who was alive or dead in Christ. No, and by the way, here's the beauty of this, that we're going to be changed in the likeness of him. Ready? No more pain. No more corruption. What does that mean? No more decaying. No more wrinkles. No more decay. No more, the Bible calls it mortality. What is that? Death. No more pain. And it's all going to happen in an instant. Now, here's some of the details of the rapture. We're all at the rapture. There are going to be some Christians that are not going to die. But every Christian is going to have to be changed. All right? Now, he tells this to this dysfunctional church who is fighting among themselves, who's envying, who doesn't see anything good coming out of anything that's happening. Paul loves them like a nurse and cherishes them like a father and mother and and, and reproves them and loves them and rebukes them and loves them and exhorts them and loves them with all long suffering and brings them to the end of this chapter and he says, look, now since you've listened to me this far, if you're still hanging on to this letter, I want you to know something. I'm going to show you a mystery. Jesus is coming again. And when he does, those that are alive are going to be changed just like those that are dead. This corruption that we live in is going to have to be changed in order to make the trip. And I want you to understand this. And then in letter number three, not only is all that going to happen, but watch, because all that is going to happen, you need to be diligent as a child of God. Now, that's the crux of the message. Paul doesn't give these, nowhere in the Bible does God want to give details for the sake of details. He always gives us details for the sake of our duty. He gives us instructions for the sake of of our inspiration. And he says, look at here, let's just go back and look at verse 55. And he's celebrating, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the next word is therefore. You see, when when the Holy Spirit turns the corner, he says, okay, just like in Ephesians 6, it doesn't matter what the mystery is. He always says, okay, here's the mystery now. Because of that, here's the instruction. I believe that God is speaking through the word of God to every Christian for 2,000 years through that passage. It's, it's plain and simple. Therefore, look at verse 58. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, in light of all that was therefore, in light of all that I've talked about, in light of all the blessings, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I want to make a declaration. I believe with all my heart that the Christian life is the best life ever. If you don't believe that, it's probably because you're not living it. The end of any other life, according to God, is despair, destruction, and death. That's the end of every other life. But the Christian life is love and joy and peace. And the end of that life is everlasting life with Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. I'm sorry, but the verdict is in. The best life you can ever live is the life in Christ because of the end of all things. Because of him, we live. Because of him, we move. Because of him, we have our very being. Because he lives, we can face today, tomorrow, and every day by the power of his resurrection and his all-sufficient grace. Because of Jesus, I don't have to worry about his love. Because of Jesus, I don't have to worry about forgiveness. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. There is no enemy that cannot be defeated because the greatest enemy already has been defeated. Death. The Bible says, oh, death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. Verse 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a life of victory because of Jesus. And Paul tells us that in light of that victory, let's just think about it for a minute. In light of Jesus hanging on the cross, brutally filleted, in light of his death and suffering, in light of the shame and and, and the, the unapproving of Jesus, because of that, the Bible says, that we must be diligent about our life in Christ. Verse 58, therefore, what's it there for? To see what it's there for. Everything listed before is supposed to be looked at at verse 58 before you go on to my beloved. It's supposed to be, you could say this way, taken into consideration. We call it in, in Bible study, the context. When I look at the word therefore, I must see what it's there for. And it's there for everything that he's talked about in light of the fact that Jesus is coming, in light of the fact that you ain't going to get to heaven without Jesus Christ, in light of the fact that your body is going to be changed, in light of the fact that God has given you the victory, that death, the Bible says, is swallowed up in that victory, and that victory comes by the Lord Jesus Christ. In light of that, therefore, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. Let me suggest a few thoughts here as we close. Letter A, I think the Bible is telling us to be steadfast in our mind. The word steadfast means to be firmly fixed in mind. Now let me ask you, if you put a therefore in front of your life right now, here's where I stand, I'm going to put therefore here. The current state of my life is going to be what it is or is not based on what's preceded it. That's what this word is talking about here. The current state of my Christian life is going to be what it is or what it is not based on everything that's preceded it in my response to it. So when God says, I want you to be steadfast, it is, look, if I'm steadfast, watch, here... Regardless of my circumstances, what will I be here? Steadfast. Why? Because it means to be firmly fixed in your mind, settled. 
So let me ask you, is your mind made up and fixed on the Lord? Do you know what you really believe? Hmm? Is what you believe right now there for what you believe then? That's the whole idea. Therefore, be ye steadfast. Because of the blessings that you know that God has given to you in Christ, regardless of what this is, that's what it's supposed to be. So forget what all this is. Look to that circumstance and say, therefore, this is where I am in my mind. My mind is made up. Do you know what you really believe? Another question would be, are you living that out? Well, I know what I believe, but this is the way I'm living it. And that's my life to live. No, it's not. You've been bought with a price. Not if you're saved, it's not your life. Never has been. Are you serving just one master? Are you allowing your mind to dictate your life? Or are you bringing your thoughts into captivity so that you can follow Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Being steadfast in your mind. you realize the devil had played a serious role in these Christians' lives. And Paul is trying to get them to think on the one thing that is most important. The victory that they have in Christ. So that their life after they meditate on those details is steadfast. Secondly, it's unmovable. Not only should we be steadfast in our minds, secondly, we should be secure in our faith. The word unmovable means secure, uh, established, assurance, all of those words. 1 Corinthians 2, 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, when my faith is weak, it's because it's put on this earth it's because it's put in man it's because it's put in what i can't see or know that's when my faith is weak but according to the bible god's desire for my faith is that it shouldn't stand in the wisdom of men it should stand in the power of god well how much power does god have <laughs> all of it he has all power he is the omni he is the omnipotent one and God says, that's what I, in light of what you know that I have done in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that you should be completely unmovable with all that God has done to bring us to himself. We owe it to him never to doubt what he says and live a life of faith. He is the God of all possibilities. That same faith in God keeps us from falling back into a life of bondage and sin. Listen to the Bible in Galatians 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore... In the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Isn't it interesting that if we stand fast, that we won't be entangled. That if we are sure, that if we're secure, we don't go back to what the, the alternative is or doubt. Second Thessalonians 2.15, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. So over and over, God says, listen... I want you to be steadfast, be diligent, be fixed in your mind, know what you believe, be secure in your faith, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding, but in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. All of it, all of it, all of it. God says, that's where I want you to be in light of the blessings. Therefore, be steadfast, unmovable. And then he says something that is the hinge to all of it. Always abounding in the work of the lord what does that mean well for the sake of alliteration i want you to see that it means successive in god's work and i want to explain that notice what it says the latter part of verse 58 always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the lord here paul reminds us that we are to be like that overflowing river abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, in case anyone doesn't know 
what that phrase means, the work of the Lord, it is simply sharing the hope of the gospel of salvation to every creature. There is no other work that is titled the work of the Lord. Jesus began it by saying, I must be about my father's business. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Therefore, he said to his disciples, go and preach the gospel to every creature and you shall be witnesses unto me. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, and under the uttermost parts of the world. So it's very plain, again, not a mystery, what we were talking about at the beginning, very plain what the work of the Lord is, all right? Now, John six twenty eight. Then Jesus said unto him, what shall we do? I'm sorry, the Pharisees say unto Jesus, what shall we do that we might, notice, work the works of God? Jesus said unto him, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who hath sent him. So very early in his ministry, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, look, here's the work of God, that people would believe in Christ, that they would be saved. John 20, 21, Jesus says to them, then peace be unto you, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now watch. We must be successive in that work. So he's, let me ask you a question. And this isn't a trick question, so I hope that you get it right. At the church at Corinth, were there any disciples there? No. Okay. The disciples were already working everywhere else. Okay. So for the person that says, well, you know, the commission was given to the disciples and, uh, you know, it's a gift. Evangelism is a gift. It's not for everybody. Well, that's interesting because here Paul says to a church of backslidden Christians that they're supposed to be involved in the work of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? After all this happened, in fact, they're going to live in the same time frame when all of the disciples are going to die for their faith. And Paul's telling these people, look, you need to get your mind right. You need to get your heart right because you need to be in and not just in the work of the Lord. You need to be abounding in that work. We must be then successive in that same work. What's that mean? That means to we are to follow what they started without interruption so when god gave the commission to the disciples the disciples then saw thousands of people saved they in turn taught them to observe all things whatsoever christ has commanded them they gave them the commission they went everywhere preaching the gospel and that same commission and they told others and they told others what is that that succession they are to Follow that which was started before without interruption. Let me say this. The work of the gospel was never intended to be interrupted. It was never intended to stop. It was never intended for some Christians to tell someone how to get saved and then not to tell them, listen, the reason that we're alive, the reason we have victory over death, the reason that Christ rose again is so that we could have a message and that message changes lives and fixes families and that message brings everlasting life. That commission, that work, that work of the Lord was never intended to be stopped. It was intended to be successive, that someone standing here would give the gospel and the next person would be standing and firmly fixed and giving the gospel and those people would be standing and firmly fixed and abounding in the work of the gospel. Is that not what it says? Therefore, be ye steadfast, unmovable. And he says, my beloved brethren, he's not talking to the lost. He's talking to Christians successive in the work sadly that work has been interrupted and it's been interrupted because people aren't secure in their faith and steadfast in their minds they've allowed everything else to take the place of the work of christ in them they no longer see a suffering Savior. They no longer see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They no longer see the hope of the rapture. They no longer see that death has been swallowed up in victory. And that victory is given to us through Jesus. 
There's no longer a therefore. That verse is just completely omitted. When's the last time you told someone your testimony of how you came to Christ and were saved? When's the last time you handed out a gospel tract? When have you been so moved of God to witness that you had to do something? That, that is abounding in the work of the Lord. You see, this mystery was not revealed so that people would stand around and just look up to heaven. Behold, I show you a great mystery. He could have not, the Lord could have not written verse 58. You understand that? You understand that the Holy Spirit of God could have said, Paul, don't, don't write that. Just stop at verse 57. Let everybody feel good about the fact that they're going to heaven. Just, just, just dwell on the details. Man, I'm not going to have any more pain. I'm going to be raptured. I'm going to, it's all about me. Don't write verse 58, Paul. Let them just revel in my goodness and, 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 and let's just let the commission die so that when it's done, I can just come back and we'll just have a grand feast and a marriage supper of the lamb and we'll just be all together forever. It's just about us. That's not what he said. So no, Paul, I want you to write that word therefore, and I want you to put arrows back to the cross of Calvary. And I want you to tell them, I want you to be diligent about your mind, about your faith, and about what you're doing with your life. It's not a mystery so that we would just stand around and look at the eastern sky every day waiting for the Lord's return. It, it was given to believers so that we would be a witness so that others could be changed. And we're to be diligent in that work. We're to abound in that work because we don't know when it's going to happen. And it's interesting to me that as much as we say that we want to believe God in all things as believers. It's interesting to me that whatever God says, we just have a hard time. I don't know if it's the American spirit or just nature of man, but we have a hard time believing some things. And we say, nope, I believe the Bible. God's real and God's true and I'm saved and I believe in the rapture and I believe in the tribulation and I believe and I believe and I believe and I believe. Well, the Bible says nothing is impossible with Christ, with God. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ. Jesus said without me, ye can do nothing. And it seems like we have been trying to do the opposite of all those ever since. Naturally. You know another one? Look at the look at the last verse, last part of verse fifty eight. It says, "For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." You know what sadly has happened. You know that there are Christians walking this earth today, saying it's just not worth it. Living the Christian life is just not worth it. Telling someone how they could get saved is just not worth it. It's not worth the shame. It's not worth being called a name. It's just not worth it. And yet the Bible says, oh, it's worth it. Your labor is not in vain. Why? Because death is swallowed up in victory. Because Jesus is alive. I believe all that. Well, then you need to understand something. Whatever you may go through in getting the words out of your mouth that testify of the Lord Jesus Christ in God's economy is worth it all. Because Jesus died so that we could give that message. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good and gracious and reminding us again today, like you did last week, not only of how wonderful it is to live a life of no condemnation to those who are in Christ, but God, thank you for reminding us today, not only of our destination in rapture, but thank you for reminding us today as to why we have been given those words. We don't know when that day is going to come. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may not be. But Lord, in the event that we are left here alive, it's very clear from verse 58 why we're here. Lord, we are to make sure that our mind is in the right place and fixed. 
We're to make sure that our faith is in the right one and secure. And we're to make sure, Lord, that we would not allow the gospel commission to be interrupted. I pray that you speak to our heart today. I pray that you have. And I pray, God, that you would burden us. God, burden us. Burden and convict every heart that we should be abounding in the work of the Lord. God, every one of us remember when it was very free for us to speak about your goodness, about your grace. And God, if there's anything that these last couple of years has taught me is that we've retracted our tongues. Oh, we'll speak of a lot of other justices or injustices. But the one that is the righteous judge, we're not speaking of. God, we've retracted our testimony from society. And Lord, eternity will reveal the people who could have or would have gone to heaven if we have just spoken up. That labor is never in vain when it's done for the Lord. So remind us today whose we are. Remind us today why we're here. And God, help us to abound now in the work of God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder today if God's spoken to your heart. And if he has, I wonder if you'll just take just a few moments right where you are. Examine your faith. What is it that you really believe? Are you living it? Examine your mind. Is it fixed? The psalmist wrote, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed, O Lord, on thee. The Bible tells us that for those whose heart is fixed or stayed on God, that he gives them great, great peace. I wonder today if you would categorize your life by abounding in the work of the Lord or not. Very convicting passage to me. If you were to put a therefore in front of your life, what's the result of what has been or what is? I love this passage of Scripture. I love what it does to me when I read it. What's it done to you? If the Lord's spoken to your heart, would you just do business with him right now? Can I beg of you to do business with him right now? Just just take a moment, two minutes, and just bow before the king of glory. Let your request be made known unto God.